Today, I am joined by the Macho Man, D-Rex, and also the Human Sasquatch, Jim Yukon, and also following myself, the lovely and awesome, The Crash. Welcome you, welcoming you to the greatest show on the face of this earth. How are you guys doing this evening? Oh yeah, the Macho Man's doing great this evening. Oh, well, you know, coming from the backwoods of Canada, I'm about to take some names and kick some ass. Oh, and today, my lovely guests, we have a lovely show for you today. So buckle up, grab your steel chairs and ladders and get ready for the ride of your life. That was good. So how are you guys doing today? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it greatly. I, <laughs> I, I'm still trying to figure out the human Sasquatch. That I actually kind of like that. <laughs> that that's that, that's pretty good. Part the macho man's the cream of the crop. <laughs> he's part man. He's part Sasquatch. We don't know what we're gonna get. <laughs> In all honesty, this has been like the best week of my life because. All it consists of me uh, doing was going back to my childhood and watching wrestling. That's it. Yeah. I, watching I, the I, promos, I, watching the intros, watching the matches, and just having a ball with it. Like, I, I, just, I, I lost my mind. I must have watched old Macho Man Randy Savage promos with Hulk Hogan at least 30 times today. <laughs> uh, well, you know uh, what? I, I, I want to do something to get us in the complete mood for the show. And in case our listeners at home haven't figured out, we're talking professional wrestling with the oldest sport known to man. Wrestling. Yeah! But, but Jason, what? Macho Man's always in the mood. <laughs> <laughs> so, so to get us in the mood, we are going to cut a promo against our greatest arch enemy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Are you ready for this? Oh, I feel, I feel the electricity right now. I feel oh, the electricity. Yeah. Damn it, Jason Golt. After Omni last week, you attacked us with a steel chair. Well, tonight, we're issuing a challenge to you. Back down in the Omni in Atlanta, Georgia, we're challenging you to an electrified barbed wire steel cage exploding ring match. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You got something to say, D-Rec? The macho man can't wait to wipe the ring with Jason Galt. It's going to be a real slobber knocker. <laughs> well, all I got to say is that I trusted him. I thought he was going to have our back. And on that fateful night, he betrayed us. 
and took the title for himself. And you know what? That doesn't sit with Crash. No, that does not sit with Crash. So right now, we got to settle the score. Oh, oh, it's big time, baby. It's big time. We are settling this score, baby. And I'm bringing the heat. Oh, I'm bringing the heat. He's going to feel everything that night. And I mean everything. So by the time I'm done with him, oh, he's going to wish he was in a dream. He's going to wish he was in a dream. The macho man's going to hang up Jason Galt in the ropes, just like Jimmy Superfly Snooker and Jake the Snake Roberts. It doesn't matter. I was kind of going Hulk Hogan a little bit there. Uh, Jason Gold, just wait till these giant frying pan-sized hands gets a hold of you, and I start tossing you around the ring, and I tie you into a pretzel, and I dunk you in a glass of beer, and I eat the ever-living hell out of you. Brother. (laughs) Brother. They're all going Hulk Hogan now. (laughs) It's all going to be this brother. No, you guys, hey, you guys are pro bowls. We're, <laughs> we're just kidding. We love you, Jason Gold. We're not gonna. I'm pretty sure he's gonna appreciate this. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, but oh, uh, so, uh, okay, we good now. We got that all out of our system. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> go go ahead, Marcus. So let's just let's jump into the main event of the evening because I believe uh, we already discussed this. This is going to be a three parter for our listeners who who are fans of wrestling like we are. Even if you're not a fan of wrestling, you're going to appreciate the history of wrestling, and and literally just take back some nuggets. That way, you know, you're at a party, you know, talking to some people, you can drop a little knowledge on them about some wrestling. You know, my you will instantly become the least cool person at that party. I promise you. But oh, you learned something. Oh, come <laughs> on, hit me up to his neck and pussy. <laughs> I'm just saying. So, uh, so, so, yeah, so, Jason, please help me out here. What, what, right. what, what, what are we looking at here? What are we looking? So, at? so what we're looking at is, as I started the show off with saying that um, pro wrestling, well, not just pro wrestling, but wrestling in general, is one of the oldest sports known to man. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been around for a very long time. And then starting in the 19th, uh, late half of the 19th century, started the early part of the 20th century. So we're talking 1890s, 1900s. Pro wrestling became a legitimate sport. And they kind of had the pageantry that they have now. And But the matches were legitimate. Mm-hmm. Um, the pro wrestling style that we know comes from a style of fighting, uh, a form of martial arts, you could say, but it was called catch wrestling. Um, the difference between catch wrestling and Greco-Roman wrestling is that Greco-Roman wrestling, you're not allowed to grab wrists, grab wrists, elbows, or have locks below the waist. Catch wrestling, all that's legal. Mm-hmm. So they adapted for professional wrestling purposes. They d- developed a style called catch as catch can which would incorporate the holds and everything else. Um, So as we go forward, and these matches that they had were like two hours long of just hot, sweaty men rolling around, grabbing each other and wrestling. 
Uh, that sounds kind of bad, but that's <laughs> what it was. I'm going to need everyone to contain themselves until after we're done talking, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, Unless so, you're into that sort of thing. I don't know. So there's two kind of big people we need to talk about. And so part of the history of pro wrestling comes from they were it was added to like bodybuilding competitions and it was part of like a traveling sideshow so they would have like these big strong men that did strong men competitions and bodybuilding and then they would travel around to little towns and they'd be like hey for fifty dollars if you can knock this man over you can get fifty dollars mm-hmm. and that's kind of the start of professional wrestling as we know it so two two kind of there was a very important match that happened in 1911 and it happened at Kaminsky Park and it drew 30,000 people. It was the biggest sporting event to happen in America outside of horse racing. And it involved a man by the name of Frank Gotch who would go on to be considered, he was a legend of, of catch wrestling and everything else. And another man by the name of George Hackenschmidt, he was known as the Russian lion. And they basically were fighting for the heavyweight championship. And this is the rub because George Hackenschmidt lost the first match to Frank Gotch. And George Hackenschmidt complained that his, his body was too oiled up and he was escaping from holds. And so the second fight that they had, <laughs> Frank Gotch and his manager hired the sparring partner to George Hackenschmidt to injure George Hackenschmidt and cause him to lose the second match. And that kind of put a black spot on professional wrestling. And from that forward, from that point forward, professional wrestling became the sideshow that it is now, <laughs> in a sense. It's a very condensed story of the history of wrestling, but that's very main stage sideshow. <laughs> the what? It's a very main stage sideshow. Oh yeah, and it, it's still it's still it's still a um a very you know it's it's still very carny to this day. Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> but we love it, and we love it for that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. So, in about 1920, there was these three guys, uh, and they were known as the Gold Dust Trio. And it was, I love this name. I, I think this is probably one of my favorite names I've ever came across. Toots Mondit. Like, like who names himself Toots? Um, well, it's also a different time period, too. That's true, too. Uh, we're talking like, this is like in the 1920s. It's um, like being like mobster mafia times. <laughs> I, just, I just picture him walking around with like a horn. It's like, who are you? Toot, toot. I'm Toots Mondit. We went completely different directions. There. <laughs> <laughs> well, what direction did you want to go? I was thinking like Al Capone calling some chick. Hey, toots. Ah, uh, that's true. <laughs> um, next, we had Big Billy Sandow, and probably one of the greatest wrestlers, um, one of the forefathers of professional wrestling, uh, Ed Strangler Lewis, and he got his name Strangler because. He would wrestle over in France, and he would put a sleeper hold on people. And the France people have never seen a sleeper hold, so they just thought he was strangling the people. 
Oh, wow. The European strangler. <laughs> well, he was American. <laughs> but he's in Europe. <laughs> um, so then what these three guys did was they took other wrestlers and they kind of signed them to contracts. And they, they kind of formed kind of like the first promotion. And they took the show traveling. And so then they would have all these different wrestlers under their one banner. And they would have feuds and angles and all that other stuff. And, and that's kind of like the Gold Dust Trio was kind of the birth of the modern American wrestling that we know of. Okay. So, and I, I think that's fascinating in a, in a sense. And that you, you had these guys, because at this point in time, wrestling was very popular but it always kind of peaked and then it dipped it peaked and then it dipped so probably the most ambitious thing and probably the bulk of what we're going to be talking about in this first part is the rise the fall and the weird kind of history that is the nwa not the rap group the, na <laughs> the national wrestling association why not both Mm, we could talk about they are called a gangbang but hey it's still wrestling hey in a sense yeah there was three of them it was a stable nwa was a stable um but in 19 in 1948 the birth of the nwa happened the first headquarters to the nwa was in waterloo iowa and it was founded by pink uh paul pinky george al haft uh, Tony Stretcher, Harry, Harry Light, Orville Brown, and another very famous person within wrestling history, Sam Muchnick. Mm -hmm. um, so basically what these guys did was they got together and each one of these guys had their own territory. At this point in time in wrestling in American history, we had all these territories and each territory had a heavyweight champion. And but there was no real way to recognize who was the real heavyweight champion at the time because you know you had a guy in Florida saying he was the world heavyweight champion, then you had a guy in New York saying he was the world heavyweight champion, and so <clears throat> what they did was they pulled all their territories together to form this association, mm -hmm. and each guy still ran their own social their own territory, but. They only recognized one man as the world heavyweight champion. So what they would do is, so let's say, let's say Macho Man D-Rec is wrestling Marcus the Crash Flowers in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Is it Tulsa, Oklahoma? I think it's just Tulsa. 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 <laughs> Sorry, people that listening in Oklahoma. <laughs> it's easy there. The Macho Man would always win. <laughs> but what they could do was they could do a series of matches there. And then when the crowd got tired, because they were part of the NWA, they could go to Lincoln, Nebraska. And they could do their whole program there. And it would be something completely new to them. And that's kind of what the idea of it was. And then when you had one champion. It, it almost sounds a little bit like when you're touring as a band, you go mm -hmm. to all these different venues around, just kind of spread yourself out there. 
and you're not just playing the same venue every single like weekend, something like that, mm-hmm. because people won't necessarily want to come and see you repeatedly over and over. Yeah. So you travel yeah. around, you get your name out there, and then hopefully by the time you circle back around to where you've already been, it's like watching a whole new show again. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's that's exactly what what it is, and um, this kind of business model. It worked for that time, but later on, we'll see in this story, it hurts them because the NWA, they don't like to change. They they like to stick to their old ways. And so the other good thing about it was, is like the heavyweight champions, they would come to your town. You were guaranteed a visit from the NWA world heavyweight champion in your town, and you could promote it, and you could you know, you could sell it and you know, you were going to make money. And Every it was time like, you say NWA is a world heavyweight champion. I always <laughs> think straight to either easy or I work a heavyweight belt. I think that's <laughs> Hey, no, if there was anybody in the NWA that was going to hold a belt, it was Dre. It was Dre. Dre is the hands down. He is the Ric Flair. Absolutely. Of, of rap. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Easy E maybe like Intercontinental or something like that. Uh, Easy E would Easy Easy was the spot taker. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he was the, he was the bump guy. Now, are you saying that Easy E is like the John Cena of the NWA? <laughs> no, not at all. I'm saying Easy E is the Buddy Rhodes of uh, of of the NWA. Ooh. Ouch. <laughs> Ice Cube is Terry Bam Bam Gordy and Dr. Drage. Was the P.S. Michael Hayes? I, I could see that. <laughs> and everybody right now is probably wondering who the hell is he talking about. If you have time, he's Google he's the Freebirds. Dr. Dre and Ice Cube were all rappers in the band. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, rapper N.W.A. Uh, so, <laughs> so you wanted your you wanted your promotion to be a part of the N.W.A. That was because you knew it was going to make you money. So you had to be, you had to have your promotion join through membership. Now, if you didn't join, you, you were considered outlaw. You were considered an outlaw promotion and you didn't get like, you weren't able to like really promote your shows in territories that were governed over by the NWA. And like within the NWA, they had rules. So let's say I ran a promotion, Derek, you ran a promotion, and Marcus, you ran a promotion. Mm-hmm. I could promote shows in my territory, but I couldn't go into Derek's territory and promote shows unless we were working together on an angle for a show. Okay. And, and, and it would work that way too. And But if you were an outlaw, you could come in and you could promote a show, but there's a good chance your 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 guys could get the shit kicked out of them, like it was like the old union days. Like oh, you shit. didn't cross, Why yeah, you didn't, to. yeah. Like it was, sounds, it like, was... So, sounds like biker gang shit right there. It's like, oh, we're coming to yeah. our territory, get the bat, <laughs> let's go. Exactly correct. Yeah, that is, you're, you are you are you are correct on that point. That it was pretty it was pretty crazy back then. Um, and the other kind of cool thing too was like, let's say Marcus, you're a bad guy, and you just got done having a feud with Macho Man D-Rec, who's the world champion of, you know, uh, South Illinois' wrestling council, 
And then you can just be like, okay, you know what? I've done my time here. I want to go up north to Montana and wrestle with the human Sasquatch, Jim Yukon. Okay. And then you could come up there and we could have a program and everything else. So the ideal of the NWA when it first started was a great thing, but they had some issues and we're going to get into it. So this started around 1948 was when the promotion started. Um, in 1956 was kind of the first time that the NWA went global and they went global with, uh, they signed, they signed in the E the EMLL promotion out of Mexico, which is the oldest and most well-known wrestling promotion out of Mexico. And they ventured overseas to Japan with one of the first real big Asian American stars in, uh, Ricky Dozan, and he went over to Japan and he started All Japan, um, All Japan Wrestling. So the NWA now was worldwide in 1950 and 1956. Mm -hmm. um, but then there started to be some problems within the promotions. So you guys might remember a famous wrestler named Vern Gagne. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> So he, he was having problems with kind of some of the bookings and everything else and where like the, the, the wrestlers would come, would come through and with, um, there it is. And with that, he wanted so he was trying to push a, I'm trying to see if this is the right guy I'm talking about. Sorry about that. Okay. So he was trying to push a storyline and it just kind of wasn't going the way that he was wanting it to go. So Vern Gagne was getting upset. So going into like the 50s and 60s, Vern Gagne was kind of the first guy to defect from the NWA. And he went and started the AWA, which, uh, which was another big promotion. And it didn't really bother the NWA that Vern Gagne left, but it definitely started to show that like you could survive outside of the NWA. You could still have a promotion and you could still do shows. Uh, shortly after... Uh, uh, Vern Gagne leaving um, and, and about the same time in 1963 a very familiar name we're also going to come across in the history of pro wrestling Vincent J. McMahon and my favorite name in professional wrestling Toots Mondant <laughs> <laughs> um, they had a promotion called um, Capital uh, Capital Wrestling Corporation. And they weren't happy with um, they weren't happy with Luthez because at this time Luthez was the heavyweight champion of the NWA. And they weren't happy with Luthez because Luthez didn't draw in their area. So even though you had a world heavyweight champion coming to your area, people didn't care. What people wanted to see was Buddy Rogers which we're going to talk a little bit more about Buddy Rogers um, here in a minute. Well, I can do it now. 
So, um, Buddy Rogers, he was, he was the nature boy, Buddy Rogers. He was a huge influence to Ric Flair. He was a very big, very strong guy. And he wrestled in a style that's very familiar to how Ric Flair style wrestled. And he used the figure four leg lock. Does all that sound very similar? <laughs> mm-hmm. So in July 9th, 1978, nearing the end of Buddy Rogers' career, um, Ric Flair and Buddy Rogers had a match. And Buddy Rogers put Ric Flair over. And after that point and after that match, Ric Flair was known as the nature boy. And <clears throat> Buddy Rogers basically gave him his gimmick from that point on. Oh man! I feel like we're all doing a major disservice here and not giving Ed just across the, the stream. Woo! Yeah, I was getting ready to say I'm pretty sure there's a backstory to Ric Flair's famous woo and basically his nickname, and they're not telling us that it mainly involved coke. <laughs> I'm just saying well, that right off the bat. Uh, it, it, a lot of wrestlers were also doing a lot of drugs <laughs> and a lot of steroids over time. Well, yeah, because I mean, a lot of this was really un uh, unregulated. And and I kind of feel like example. Watch the old Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage interview where they combine the madness with the Hulkamania, and tell me they're not on cocaine. No, any, dude, I don't, any promotion that the Macho Man did, he was on coke. He always had the goggles on. And if you actually paused and looked through the goggles, just really looked through the tent, his eyes were bulging out of his fucking skull from the amount of coke he was doing. Well, okay. <laughs> well, if you guys remember, and if you watch The Dark Side of the Ring, they did an episode on, Hawk Ho on a Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth. And from that, we learned... Macho Man didn't do a lot of drugs. He was not a party guy. He actually was not, surprisingly enough. Yeah, and that's that's another reason why Macho Man is has a place in my heart. And also, Macho Man got his start in the in the Ohio region for professional wrestling. He did really, mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, I think it was a it was a region that was down around <clears throat> Kentucky. I, I'd have to look it up again what it is, but um, yeah, he got his start there well the macho man himself was actually from columbus ohio mm -hmm. okay okay yeah, he wanted to be a baseball player well in all honesty there's only one group of people that when i saw the old footage of them it sort of broke my heart that the they did not make the big times in fact you saw them dwindle before the big time before it could happen and of course, you all know who I'm talking about, the family, the Van Eriks. Oh, the Von, the Von Eriks. The Von Eriks, thank oh, you. Yes. And well, we're going we're gonna to get to we're gonna get to them. Yeah, of course. I'm I'm just saying, I'm I, I thought we were just talking about wrestlers real quick. We're not gonna really deep dive into that, but I'm just saying I love their story. Like yeah. I, I thought it was amazing. The father was a hard ass, and then you just you know, well, we'll get into that later. We'll, we'll come yeah. back around to that. Yeah, we'll um, come back yeah, we'll we'll come back down around to it. Um, because I love, because I, I personally grew up watching WCCW. Um, I would come home from school, and it was on ESPN when I came home from school. Back so, in my day, <laughs> you know. And yes, I'm old. <laughs> well, well, Jason, uh, I want to say I want to thank you because when uh, we had this, when we had this talk over group, 
and you mentioned WC, uh, WCCW, you know, I just, you know, I looked them up. I watched the documentary, Wikipedia, them and stuff like that. Rich history. And yeah. literally found out that majority of my favorite wrestlers came from them. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that was shocking. You know, yeah. Nick Foley yeah. shows up, uh, Shawn Michaels. I'm like, you know, wow. Like, yeah. it's crazy to believe that they started all the way back, you know, during that time, especially around this organization, especially uh, for me. You know, I was part of the uh, Attitude Era, and mm -hmm. seeing them in ECW and WWE, you know, it, it 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 was a it was a mind trip. You know, just discovering their history like that. So we're looking at the the '60s. So we just had Vern Gagne, who, in his in his own rights, is a legend when it comes to professional wrestling. He was not happy with how the NWA was doing things and booking things. And he pulls out the NWA. And then you have Vincent J. McMahon pull out. And when Vincent J. McMahon pulled out, he started a little wrestling promotion that we all know of and we all love. But it might have been called something a little different back then. But he started the World Wide Wrestling Federation. Now, was this Vince McMahon Sr. at this time? Yes. Night? Yes, this mm -hmm. was Vince McMahon Sr. Yeah, because this was like in the 60s. <laughs> so, um, and then from there, they kind of, they crowned Buddy Rogers as their first world champion. And to this day, if you look at the title reigns of WWF, WWE world champions, the very first person that held their belt was Buddy Rogers. Hmm. So now we're going to move on to a fun, fun part of professional wrestling. And we are talking about the 70s. Because yeah. it's with the 70s we start getting stars like Harley Race, Dory Funk Jr., Terry Funk, Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes, the son of a plumber. And, you know, we still had great Great legends like Bruto San Martino is still wrestling at this time. So, in the course of how this works with the NWA, um, they still had their territories and they still had their how they would do shows. Everything was still territory, Ron, but TV was starting to get more and more at this time. But they weren't as wrestling wasn't as popular as it was. So TV, so TV slots they were getting used for late night fillers. It just wasn't as popular, and kind of like people were just kind of starting to lose interest with it. Also in Japan at this point in time, um, the Japanese Wrestling Association, the JWA. I got that wrong the first time. I apologize. Um, two of their biggest stars left, and that would be Giant Baba and Antonio Nako. And they went and started their own promotions. So now we have two promotions in Japan, and we have All Japan Pro Wrestling and New Japan Pro Wrestling. And I think this is a good time to kind of talk about a cultural shift in professional wrestling between the wrestling in the States and wrestling in Japan. Mm -hmm. Because... Wrestling in Japan is taken very seriously. <laughs> oh yeah. Like oh, yeah. um 
and they love American stars. Well, so, the, the way I understand it, too, as, as far as in Japan, they don't care necessarily about the promo aspect of it. They care about the actual wrestling part of it. Yeah, but they still, there's still the, um, the promo side of it is very serious. So it's not like you will have a little bit of like the American style promos, but the, the story is more done in the ring than it is like backstage stuff. UFC based versus like the overdramatic over the top flair of the WWE that we see today. Well, it's funny that you say that because there is a style of, there is a stiff style in Japan to where they tried to push it to where it was professional wrestling, but the punches and kicks were real. Right. And, Uh um, but it wasn't your, it, it wasn't the same. It was a different offshoot of the Japanese pro wrestling. So, and then you, you do have guys over there that do spend time doing MMA, doing UFC style fights, and then they come over and they do professional wrestling too. So the culture there, it's very ingrained. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the best things I heard about it was, is the Dudley boys were talking about their time in Japan because they love American wrestlers. Like Hulk Hogan was a huge draw. Uh, Andre the Giant was a huge draw. Foley. Mick Foley was a huge draw. Um, my favorite wrestler of all time, Bruiser Brody, was he was a god in Japan. Oh, and I, I love watching the old videos because he would come out swinging like six feet of chain, like Led Zeppelin's immigrant songs just blasting through the PA system. He just comes running out and he goes out into the crowd and you just see people scatter running from this large, giant American man swinging <laughs> six feet of chain. I, I don't know. I, I, I probably would, too. He's... Yeah, I think this crazy <laughs> dude running around swinging chains to Led Zeppelin, with, and he's running in the crowd instead of towards the ring. You're thinking that he's lost his marbles? Of course you're going to run. And, like, guys like, um, guys like Big Van Vader and Stan Henson, mm-hmm. like, they were all huge in Japan, and they loved them. Um, so, so now you have two promotions that they can work with over in Japan. So the NWAs, it's doing fairly well. Also during this time, um, you have the AWA is still growing, is still going strong, but about 1971. So about 10 years after they left or about seven years after they left the NWA, guess who comes back to the NWA? Any guesses? Uh, I'm going to say WWE. Yes. Vince Vince McMahon and actually the AWA does come back into the fold of the AWA. (laughs) (laughs) So they weren't gone for too long. And that was kind of like the thing. These promotions would break off. They would go try to make it. But then they couldn't pull the fans. So then they'd have to come crawling back. Also during this time, and we're talking the end of the 70s, about 1978, 1979, we start to have a shift in the world of professional wrestling. So the headquarters is moved from Waterloo, Iowa, to Atlanta, Georgia. Because the Atlanta, Georgia 
uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling was selling out almost every Friday, the Omni. And mm. I don't know if you guys are familiar, like the Omni is a huge arena. Oh, yeah. So, like every Friday they were selling it out. So they moved the headquarters from, um, from Waterloo, Iowa to um, Atlanta, Georgia. And it was also during this time that we start to get cable TV. So I, I was thinking somewhere along the lines, I think they said in like the 60, 69, 70, 6% of the households in America were wired, were wired for cable. And, oh, wow. and then by like mid seventies, it was like 7%. I might be a little wrong on my dates, but that's kind of the, the feel that I'm getting. So Georgia championship wrestling signed with the TBS network and they got access to cable. So they were broadcast nationwide. Mm-hmm. So the NWA was the first promotion in a sense to go nationwide with their, with their wrestling. This also helped them, but it also hurt them in a sense. See, at the same time that the NWA was moving forward with cable, they were still doing the old kind of promotional thing. And how I talked about before, like if you, if Macho Man D-Rec and the Crash Marcus Flowers were having a program in one city and then they moved to another city and did the same program. Well, now you couldn't do that because the fans were already starting to see that program. Mm -hmm. And then when they would bring in the world champion to a territory to do a show, it wasn't drawing because why do I want to go when I can just watch it on TV? Mm -hmm. So this ideal that they had this old way of doing business now well, it kind of started to bite them in the bite them in the ass in a sense. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's how we'll close out the eighties for the NWA. They were still going good and they just got to nationwide broadcasting of cable, but there were still a little bit more hurdles for them to follow. So going into the eighties now, there's one big significant event that kind of really kicks off where professional wrestling goes. And that is another very familiar name. <laughs> we'll talk about a lot in part two of this show. But that is Vincent K. McMahon buys the WWF from his dad. Vince Jr. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... Vince has plans. So a lot of plans. <laughs> oh yeah. So um Vince goes about and also before we get into Vince, we're now we're going to talk about WCCW. Um so WCCW was a promotion out of Texas and it is stands for World Class Championship Wrestling. The promotion was ran by Fritz von Erich and his sons. And mm-hmm. it's a very kind of tragic story in a sense of that 
all the all the sons died, and one son actually made it to the WWF, and that was Kerry Von Erich. And um, kind of the 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 tragedy of it is is they were all great wrestlers, but um, there's one wrestler that. In 1988, well, yeah, I say 1988, he kind of started there. And it's another wrestler that's going to have a very big impact, especially on the second part of our show. And that is Cactus Jack or Mick Foley. Um, for mankind or <laughs> Santa Claus. Um, but uh, he he got his start. He well, he didn't get his like true true start there. But he one of his big first successful runs in professional wrestling was in uh, world class championship wrestling, which led to him getting signed with WCW, and from there, Cactus just grew. Um, there's a lot of great documentaries on WCW on WCCW. And um, um, the Von Erics. Um, it's a very great story. Uh, my oh, personal, yeah. my my personal favorite wrestler, um, Bruiser Brody, was from that area, and he was tragically murdered in Puerto Rico by Carlos Colon, who's in the WWE Hall of Fame, and he's a murderer. <laughs> Well, see, here, here's the best part about the WCCW, and I liked how they put the Von, er uh, the Von Erich family as their centerpiece because they wanted hard-hitting action. Oh, yeah. And, and the best part was was the storyline, and, and it, it involves the family. It, it involves uh, friendship <laughs> and betrayal. And it was like anytime they needed a heel for uh, a piece of the storyline, it would basically be like, you know, oh, these guys, they betrayed the family. And it's like a revenge match, and you know, and people yeah. were just people were just eating it up, and it was like almost every every other week, you were trying to guess, okay, who's going to betray them next, or who's going to basically be their friend next, and stuff like that, and and I I thought that that was actually very interesting that they were the centerpiece to uh, not not just the organization itself, but also the the storyline. Like everything branched off from this family, and I thought that was actually pretty cool. Yeah, and like they had they had great series of matches with the Freebirds. Oh yes, the like, Freebirds definitely yeah. definitely are runner ups, you know. And so, if you have time, go check out um, anything you can find on WCCW. It, it's very interesting, and it's a it's a very it's a very well done story. So. Getting back to the meat and potatoes of this in the NWA, and I apologize. This is a lot of stuff <laughs> to go through. Um, but so Vince McMahon, Vincent K. McMahon Jr., or Mr. McMahon as we know him, he buys the WWF from his dad. And he has this plan to take his promotion nationwide. Mm -hmm. So in 19, so he bought the company in 1983 and kind of the first thing that he does is, and I found this out today and I didn't know it. He goes into, he goes into Akron, Ohio 
with his television program, which was a big no-no because the Ohio Territory was ran by Ole Anderson. So he, he, he was basically like, I don't care about the NWA rules. I'm taking my product nationwide. I'm going to go in and do this. So they have like their big meeting in St. Louis. And no, I'm sorry. This one was in Las Vegas. So they all get together. Ole Anderson's yelling at him because he has basically encroached into his territory. Uh, He comes in, he's telling people, I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring Hawk Hogan, Andre, the giant, Jake, the snake Roberts, all these big names. He signs, he signs, uh, he gets a television deal out of Dayton. He gets a television deal out of Cincinnati, and he signs a deal with the Hair Arena to bring them wrestling. And all this is just, you know, just no regard to Ole Anderson or the territories. Mm-hmm. So they're yelling at him. Vince McMahon just goes, hey, you know what? I don't need you. And he walks out. And so for the second time, the WWF leaves the NWA. And this time it is for good. They do not come back. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so as we go forward with it there's this little event called Black Saturday and we're going to go into a little bit more depth on Black Saturday and what that means but in 1984 Vince McMahon buys Georgia Championship Wrestling Georgia Championship Wrestling as I talked about before in the 70s is the crown jewel piece of the NWA It has a national cable contract. Vince McMahon buys it. Um, Through some stuff that happens with also at this point in time, Vince McMahon is expanding across the the USA. He's kind of strapped for cash. Um, The Southern fans don't like his style, as they put it, of New York wrestling. So he sells back the Georgia championship wrestling to um, to a man by the name of Jim Crockett Jr. and Jim Crockett Promotions. Um, so kind of like during this time when the Georgia championship wrestling was on TV, it was called World Championship Res- Wrestling. And that was the name of the show. It was still an NWA product. But when Vince McMahon bought it, they kind of did something kind of tricky and they started doing championship wrestling from Georgia. That's how they got around. So they were still having TV, but that's how they got around Vince McMahon owning Georgia championship wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, so Vince sold um, uh, Jim Crockett, Jim Crockett Jr. Georgia championship wrestling and kind of also during this point in time, you guys remember AWA? Yeah. We weren't really talking about AWA, were we? No, <laughs> we, we just mentioned it. We, we just now been mostly talking about WWF and NWA. The beautiful thing is at this point in time, AWA is still going pretty strong. They're they're kind of the they're the little workhorse promotion that a lot of people don't know about, but they had a lot of great wrestlers. And kind of like during this point in time, they had a time slot on ESPN. Mm-hmm. So it's another promotion that I grew up watching. Um so in 1985, as things are kind of going, they, 
in about 1985-1986, WCCW becomes a national promotion. They're still under the banner of, they kind of like pick up where Georgia Championship Wrestling left off. And they're kind of like the base of the NWA kind of thing. But as we go through kind of like the 80s, this is kind of where we start to see a lot of the fighting between WWF and NWA. Mm-hmm. And we start to see, you know, this is where we start to see like um, the WrestleMania start to happen. Like cable starting to get more popular. We're starting to get pay-per-views and stuff like that. So the very first kind of pay-per-view that we ever kind of have and it was on closed circuit. It was on a closed cir- circuit network, and that was Starcade on Thanksgiving Day. And um, it was about like 84, 85 when that happens. I think I don't want to get this wrong. Uh, well, um, from, no, I was going to say, from my recollection, uh, you know. Uh, WrestleMania was uh, thought of as a last-ditch effort because they were trying their best to basically compete with the NWA. And, of course, you know, they were doing okay, but they were still losing. And so when Vince pitched WrestleMania, it was literally as a last-ditch effort to basically beat them in the rating war, you know. Yeah, so Starcade happened, and it was a super card. It was kind of like the first WrestleMania type thing. It happened on Thanksgiving Day in 1983. Mm-hmm. So going into that, with this, Vince McMahon knew he had to do something. So in around, oh, in around the same time, Vince McMahon came up with WrestleMania, and it was free on TV. Okay. And... As we kind of go forward from there, um, we start to see more like Survivor Series and just a lot of different kind of big matches coming up on TV because the cable promoters are starting to ask for this type of stuff. Mm -hmm. So coming out of the 80s, we start to enter a very interesting era in professional wrestling. Okay. And so we finally see going into the 90s, we kind of see WCCW close down. They fold up. Uh, we start to see um, the AWA folds. And you start to see just all these little promotions start to die off. And they're dying off because... You know, people aren't going to see matches anymore. And people are just, they're not, the the cable has kind of killed the NWA marketing and how they do marketing. Well, I would, I would say on two fronts because, yeah, cable sort of killed it. But in all honesty, I believe that uh, Vince McMahon had a huge role to play when it came down to the to the war with the NWA. I mean, look how he was consolidating power. Oh, on yes, a scale. Yeah. It was like on a large scale, he was consolidating power and the lesser 
the lesser promotional deals, they were not basically getting the recognition nor the airtime they deserve because he was literally making a power play, which I, in all honesty, that was actually pretty smart. He, he was basically thinking 10 moves ahead when it came down to uh, the wrestling promotion and especially the wrestling game. So he knew, you know, times are changing. A lot of people are not going to be coming out to the stadiums and stuff like that. And, you know, you could definitely just see how he was maneuvering through all of that. Yeah. And, and the other thing Vince McMahon was doing, too, was Vince McMahon was he was buying up the talent. He was yeah. going through promotions and he was buying up the talent. He was pretty and, much making Monopoly out of wrestling. In a sense, he was. Um, funny, actually, it's funny that you mentioned that, and it's something I didn't cover, and I probably should have covered way back. Way back in the day, the government actually went after the NWA because they thought that they were trying to monopolize professional wrestling. So oh, wow. <laughs> the government's always kind of like trying to go after like the bigger promotions that that was a really good question, Derek. That was the, awesome. the government wants their hands in things? No. Yeah. <laughs> no. We trust our Never government. <laughs> so we go into the 90s with the NWA, and the NWA is just limping into the 90s. Um, a lot of promotions have started to fold, um, and they started to go under. And at this certain point in time, there's a little... There's a little Philadelphia-based promotion. It's, 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 it's little, but it is the biggest draw for the NWA. Do you know what that promotion's called? No. ECW? You're right, but do you know what the ECW stands for? No. Extreme Championship Wrestling? Yes and no. You see, <laughs> at this certain point in time, ECW as we know it, is known as Eastern Championship Wrestling. Hmm. So, uh, um, so we still have WCW. Well, the NWA is still there. The NWA slash WCW is still with the NWA, and Eastern Championship Wrestling is still with the NWA. And this is probably around start of mm, the mid-90s. Ah, so, yes. uh, And actually, a, another big thing happened in the first part of 91. Ric Flair left the WCW. Mm-hmm. And there was, this was kind of important that Ric Flair left um, because he left with the WCW World title and he left being recognized as the NWA world champion. So when he left, they, the WCW stripped him of the title, but the NWA didn't strip him of his title. So he was he was an NWA heavyweight champion for about a month in the WWF. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, it's just kind of it's just kind of a crazy thing. Also, um, when I was talking about Buddy Rogers. So Buddy Rogers was one of three men to hold a WWF title, a W, an NWA title. Um, he was he was one of only three men to hold both those titles. Mm -hmm. Do you know who the other two are? No, Derek. Not offhand. Okay, so one man was Ric Flair. Ric Flair has held both the WWF title and the NWA title. The other man 
is AJ Styles. Really? Yeah. Really? You see, when you are part of the NWA, you had access to the title. So if you were an NWA world champion, you were an NWA world champion. I'll get to why AJ Styles does that because it How happens. AJ Styles been wrestling now. <laughs> it, it's it, it, this happened a lot sooner than what you think. So in '91, Flair left WCW. He went to WWF. Um, then we had the ECW, the Eastern Championship Wrestling, in the mid '90s. They were the top draw for the NWA. Also. Another big thing happened in 93 to the NWA that really hurt it a lot. WCW left. And that's when they officially became WCW and they had their own title. They didn't have access to the NWA title anymore. Mm -hmm. And that is the start of the Monday Night Wars. Also. Oh, yeah. And which we will talk about that in our next show. The Monday Night Wars is a major topic. <laughs> yes, honestly, it is. Honestly, that's when that's when I really started to get into uh, wrestling because of the Attitude Era, Monday Night Raw, and uh, of course Nitro. I mean, yeah. like, there's there there's so many moments throughout the wars that I was just, no, it was like I was, I was flipping between channels to watch WCW and WW, uh, WWE you know just to basically keep up with the storyline oh yeah yeah i mean it was insane i want to issue a challenge also real quick i want to issue the challenge in our next episode part two where we're going to cover monday night wars i want someone to keep tally for how many times we say mick foley (laughs) (laughs) it's it's funny it's funny you mentioned that because there's also one other major thing that happens with the nwa in the 90s and it, it, it's another kind of like blow to the nwa so you remember when i'm talking about eastern championship wrestling mm-hmm. well one thing the nwa wanted control over was who got the belt and when the belt changed hands because they wanted them at nwa sanctioned shows and a lot of times of these promotions they didn't want to do that and they didn't want to give the belt to certain people so Eastern Championship Wrestling was holding a tournament to crown a new NWA champion because this, this is happening in August of 1994. And in 1993, the WCW just left. So what they did was the NWA was mad. The NWA was mad that they were going to crown their own the the eastern championship wrestling was going to crown their own champion and they were going to crown shane douglas and they didn't like that but he was a draw so shane douglas wins this tournament and they hand him the nwa world title and what is probably one of the greatest moments in professional wrestling history shane douglas throws down the nwa world title and announces he is the extreme championship wrestling champion. And there we have the birth of ECW. Um, ECW is also a very interesting point too. 
You know why? Because it's ECW. And because that is where we get another Mick Foley. You see, when WCW closed down, well, before WCCW closed down, another wrestler from a little wrestler we might have talked about a little bit, Mick Foley, he went to WCW. Mick, Mick Foley, who's he again? Uh, well, at this point in time, he was Cactus Jack. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he, he developed a following. And after two years, he decided he was going to take a chance, and he went to ECW mm-hmm. with uh, Paul Heyman. And in my personal opinion, the best work that Mick Foley has ever done is within ECW. Oh, yes. <laughs> what do you love? And, and, um, and a lot of people, and the crazy thing is, is so going into the 90s, and especially 90, 1990, uh, 1994, we had the start of the Monday Night Wars, and everybody was always talking about WCW or WWE. Mm-hmm. There was a third promotion within that Monday Night Wars, and that was ECW. Yep. And at one point in time, ECW was outselling WCW, and a small little upstart promotion made its way to being the number two promotion in the United States of America. Is that because oh. they had McFoley? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Actually, well, they, they had, they had, they had. Uh, I, I would highly suggest go look up the Rob Van Dam and Jerry Lynn matches. Those, oh, yeah. Those were great matches. Uh, go check out Eddie Guerrero versus Dean Malenko. That's a classic match. I mean, they had everybody from the 90s that we know came through WCW. They were the star makers. Steve Austin came through. Um, Mick Foley. Um, Rob Van Dam, Sabu, you know, the Dudley boys. That was where it was at. So, actually, actually funny enough, uh, I have uh, some buddies. Shout out to my buddies, uh, Eric and Warren Grant. Love those guys. They were the ones that introduced us to ECW because we were all into the uh, Monday Night Wars and whatnot, the WWE versus WCW. And then one day uh, on our way to school, they was like, hey, have you ever heard of. Uh, you know, ECW. And I was like, what is that? It's like, oh, you got to stay up late for that one. Yep. And I was like, really? It was like, yeah, it comes on, I think it was like a Friday. And you Friday? Wait. It, it came on Friday night at midnight on ESPN. Yes. And so we stay up. Of course, we stay up and, you know, we cut on ESPN and I'm watching this and it was like, it, it, it literally, it shattered my expectations when it came down to wrestling because I mean they're doing Bob wire Bob wire matches mm-hmm. uh, um, death matches with like explosives in the ring the, uh, the most fascinated. famous gimmick the most famous gimmick was the thumbtacks like they would throw the thumbtacks on their uh, mat and then they just slam the person down I mean like that and shit you, was you fucking who was phenomenal at that <laughs> yep and and and, and was, was of the hardcore title as well. Yeah. Yes, he was. But it was Mick Foley that basically, uh, and I can say that's when I became a fan, was when I seen him in these matches, and he's doing, like, shit you're not going to see in WCW or WWE. I, it, was like, it was crazy. I own 
1995 the 1996 IWA King of the Death tournament on VHS. Holy shit. That is that is the classic Mick Foley, well, Cactus Jack versus Terry Funk. A really interesting thing about Mick Foley, too, I believe before he actually joined ECW, he was doing uh, wrestling over in Japan Mm -hmm. under under the guise of Cactus Jack. Yeah. And I believe it was actually over in Japan. He had a match with, I I don't remember his name offhand, but instead of the ring ropes, they actually had barbed wire. Yeah. That's that's actually a very common occurrence with the deathmatch wrestling, especially over in Japan. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, what we had with ECW was we had a change, and it's with ECW that we got kind of the Attitude Era of oh, wrestling. Oh, yeah. Before we dive too far into this, there's also one other brand we didn't really talk about a whole lot. We might have mentioned it briefly, but didn't really cover it. It was WWF. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yes, we all know the classic story of WWF versus WWF. So yes. uh, I don't, you might not know. Yes, uh, throughout most of, well, the 70s up till, I think, what was it, like 2000? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was so. about 2000. We had the WWF, the World Wrestling Federation. Also, at the same time, there was the Wild what was it? The World Wild Animal Federation, but it was yeah. also yeah the WWF. <laughs> and yeah, World Wildlife Federation. Yes, yeah. And Vincent and Vincent McMahon lost to a panda, and he had to change the WWF to WWE, and he, he the lost world... the rights of the acronym. <laughs> he, he did. He lost, was... he lost to a panda. <laughs> honestly, honestly, that was the most stuck moment of my life that they had to change their name. And he oh, it, it was great because like anything you had like pre that with WWF, it, it's it's just amazing. Oh yes. Um, so <laughs> we're almost we've almost made it through the seventy years of history that is the NWA. Can you guys believe that? That this wrestling body has been around for 70 years. And this is a really summarized version that we're covering. Too. Yes, it is. Oh, it's man. very summarized. We could have easily done six parts just on the NWA alone. Easily. easily. So the NWA at the end of the 90s is hurting really bad. And then they kind of get a little shot in the arm. And that little shot in the arm comes from Jeff and Jerry Jarrett. And they start NWA. TNA total nonstop action. Yep. And that is how AJ Styles became one of only three men to hold both WWF and NWA title. Because AJ Styles was on TNA. Yes, he was. And they had the rights to the NWA title. But this didn't last very long because in 2007, TNA split and they started their own promotion. (laughs) So. Uh, so from like 2007 for almost a decade, like they're just floundering. The NWA is just floundering. Like the promotions are just dropping. Uh, they get a little bit of it back in around 2010 with uh, the NWA championship from Hollywood. And what this is very, and this is actually a very positive thing. And, but then, well, 
NWA being, well, hey, we're the NWA. We've been around for 70 years. We know what's best for the promotion. Well, the champion uh, championship wrestling from Hollywood, they're two big stars, Adam Pierce, who is now on WWE Network, and Colt Cabana, which if you're familiar with CM Punk, you're familiar with Colt Cabana. Mm-hmm. They are the finals in a tournament to crown a new NWA world title, world heavyweight champion. And they both just kind of shit on the NWA and saying how sick they are working for a promotion that's stuck in the past. And they both drop the title and walk out. <laughs> so tw- yes, as twice wrestlers have walked away from the NWA saying, we don't need this shit. Um, so the NWA just kind of flounders and then something miraculously happens in 2017 the nwa was bought do you know who bought it i can take a wild guess vince jr nope oh i was gonna say wwe Foley, did he buy it nope i wish he bought it <laughs> billy fucking corgan <laughs> what really? yes like billy corgan yes Billy Corgan is a huge wrestling fan, and he bought the NWA in 2017. On purpose? Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he, he bought it, and he turned the promotion completely around. I will say this. As a musician, I hate Billy Corgan. I can't, I stand, I can't stand them smashing pumpkins. As a wrestling promoter, the guy's a genius. So he's not the Eric Bischoff of the NWA. No, he is much better than the NWA. Also, another little fun tidbit about Billy Corgan. He showed up in ECW. Really? Yeah. Yeah, he showed up at a couple of their pay-per-views. Uh, Billy Corgan is a huge wrestling fan. Like He loves professional wrestling. And when it came up that he could buy um, buy it, he he did. And the cool thing about it is, is the company that he uses is the original, is um, the original name of the company that owned the NWA, and that was Lightning Lightning One Incorporated. Mm, okay. So I give him props on that. He like he kept a bit of the history with it. So that, my friends, is a very summarized and gone through early history of professional wrestling and the NWA. Next week's show is going to be just as big because we're going into the Monday Night Wars. It's not bigger. Oh, man. It's not bigger. (laughs) Do you realize, I'm just going to say this for our listeners, and I'm pretty sure some of my my good friends, if they're listening to this, they're probably going to have a good chuckle off of this. How many times I got in trouble at school for doing a Stole Cold Stunner on a fellow student because we were just so amped about the wars. Like, (laughs) dude, I was, oh, man. Yeah, let's just say I got in trouble a lot. <laughs> I've I've been putting a couple sharpshooters. I know about. It. <laughs> um, you know what the amazing thing about it is, though, it was just like how many people like went and did backyard wrestling because they watched this stuff. Oh man, like, I find that absolutely amazing, and um, like and it was fun. Like you always wanted to test out like wrestling moves because you always wanted to see i actually had um one of my best friends 
we, you know, we used to play around and we used to do kind of like the backyard thing. And um, since I was the biggest guy there, I, I, I got to do the choke slam. <laughs> I wasn't choke slam you. You just stand up. <laughs> <laughs> so my one buddy's girlfriend comes up to me and she's like, you know, I want to be choke slammed. And I was like, no. And she, she looks at me. She goes, no, no, seriously, choke slam me. I could take it. So I look over at my buddy and I'm like, dude, is it okay if I choke slam your girlfriend? <laughs> <laughs> he looks at me. He goes, oh, she's asking for it. Go for it. I don't care. <laughs> so I, <laughs> so I, I, I grabbed her and because, like, you know, we all thought we knew how it was. Like, you know, you grab her, I threw the arm over my shoulder and I lifted her up and I had her and then. <laughs> I dropped her. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh dude. <laughs> she's just like she hits and she goes, oh, oh that kind of hurts. <laughs> yeah, just a bit. I mean, I'm still friends with her. I've been friends with the chick for like over 20 years. She's a great, she's a great gal. But she apparently yeah. loves being choke slammed. <laughs> <laughs> or just uh, choke uh, one. Well, we were very impressionable, especially in. Uh, 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 I would say middle school and uh, high school and me and some buddies we would basically have like these big brawls after school like <laughs> my mom my mom was mad at me because she actually paid for me to get on a bus to go to and from school but I never used it <laughs> because the moment they were like oh we're gonna meet in the field it's like oh it's game time and I'll just run out with my guys we'll throw our book bags and coats down they could be like the middle of winter raining, whatever. I mean, dude, it was like, it was on. Like, it was classroom versus classroom or uh, this grade versus this grade. I mean, it didn't matter. We just went out there and we had a ball. And I got choke slammed and got the wind knocked the fuck out of me. I was laying on the ground just like, because <gasps> I mean, I'm literally facing off against like these big guys or whatever, just having fun with it. And this one guy, he comes out of left field, like he comes up behind me, spins me around. I'm like, yeah, what the fuck? He grabs my throat, throws the arm over. And before I can react, I'm in the air and then just being dropped. And I'm just <laughs> out of breath. I'm just like, fuck. I've been putting the figure four, uh, what, the four leaf clover. I've had the diamond cutter done on me. I've done the diamond cutter. <laughs> I don't know how many times I've been speared. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, I hate the fucking spirit. That is the one. That's going to knock the wind out of you. Yes. That, I hate that fucking wrestling move. When like, Goldberg I, I, showed up on the scene and he got his 100 wins, it was on the count to the 100 wins every time he did the spear. Uh, like, after I received my first spear and I lost basically my, my lower bodily functions, it was like, every time I seen him do it, bro, I just cringe. <laughs> oh, God. No. So, um, here's a here's an interesting little fact about Goldberg. I, I, in all honesty, I hate Goldberg. I hate it. I, I, the oh, wow. so he, he's a one trick pony. Yeah, he was a one trick pony. So if you can go and find the match, and I really suggest everybody go and find the match. So Goldberg versus William Regal. And okay. this match is very important because they were trying to build up the legitimacy of Goldberg. And if you don't know the history of William Regal, he is a legitimate tough guy. Like he grew up doing the bare knuckle boxing in Britain. Mm. He, he is somebody 
like the, just... the old school like pictures that you see the, the shirtless guy with his dukes up and like a giant handlebar mustache like <laughs> that's William Regal yeah <laughs> without the look but William Regal is a legitimate tough guy in professional wrestling like he can seriously hurt you and, and he will seriously hurt you and so somebody came to him and told him hey work Goldberg mm-hmm. and in the match you see William Regal actually work Goldberg over and after the match the pretty much whole Regal got fired but oh, Jesus yeah like Goldberg was was dangerous and I, I just absolutely hated him like he was there was have, nothing charismatic about him I have to say I like Goldberg as a person uh I think he's a great character to have on wrestling, but yeah. he's so just one trick and that's it. Yeah, spear jackhammer, spear, spear jackhammer, yeah. and that's it. Like that, there's no real like technical wrestling with Goldberg. Yeah. Um, well, see, I was I, I I've always appreciated the fact that Goldberg never cut a promotion when he first. See- and that kills me too. Oh, you like, need to like cut a silent person. But the you moment need he started, it. it was like it, it, it nose died for me. The whole art of professional wrestling is the story you tell in the ring and the promotion for the next match. It, yeah. it, and if you can't tell a story in the ring, you better be good on that fucking mic. And well, guess what? Goldberg was neither. <laughs> perfect example of this. A more modern wrestler. Enzo Amore, he's not very good in the ring. Like he, he's, 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 he's good for a little guy. He, he's good for a little guy. By all means, good for a little guy. But his promos are far better than his wrestling. Oh fuck yeah! Like phenomenal compared to his wrestling. If if they just turned Enzo into the mouthpiece for Big Cass, because Big Mass was Big Cass was okay on the mic, but he wasn't great. Mm-hmm. But if you just had Enzo. Just running the mic for Big Cass and Big Cass just being the heavy, fuck that would have been perfect. So, are you trying to say that Enzo Amore is like the modern age Jimmy Hart? In a sense, yeah. I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I'm not ashamed to say that. <laughs> I, I can see the yeah. Oh fuck yeah. He, he's... yeah! Give him a megaphone. Let him let him run around. Yeah. And to be honest with you, uh, to do an awesome promo, that that to me that made the match even better. Yeah, it, it, it built the suspense. Might. Oh, dude, it, it not only built the suspense, it got you amped for the next match or the main event or, you know, yeah. a pay-per-view match. Like, you really were into it because these guys, they it's literally selling the match, just like with boxers or UFC fighters, you're selling the fight. And these guys went out there and the level of insults they would toss out and you know, uh, the, 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 the stuff that they would do to these people. I mean, you really thought Holy shit, a war is about to break out. This is well, fucking amazing. I, I don't want to dive into this too much because we're probably going to cover this in episode two or three, whichever one would determine. The Undertaker. <laughs> oh, man. Best. I, w- I won't say the best promos, but like the best lack thereof promos. Just his character as a whole. Yeah, his Anytime character as a whole. the Undertaker was mentioned, it just it made things real. Yeah. Yes. We are going to cover The Undertaker in the... Uh... In, in part two and um so kind of to give our loose our listeners a view of what's coming with um with the with the professional wrestling so part two of our professional story is going to pick up back in the 90s i know i took nwa up to 2017 
But that's just to kind of show where the NWA is. It's still a very prestigious organization, even though they're a little backwards with their thinking. They're, they're kind of in like a rebuilding phase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, they had Except they had good. they had one good year in 1948, and then the rest of the 69 plus years they've been rebuilding. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um. But then part two, we're going to really get into like the 90s era of wrestling and up to modern era. We're going to talk about the Monday Night Wars. We're going to talk about Mick Foley. We're going to talk about Stone Cold Steve Austin. We're going to talk about The Undertaker. And we're going to talk about the NWL because they're kind of an important part of wrestling in a sense. Oh, And then finally, the third part, we're going to bring some guests on and we're going to talk about what professional wrestling means to us, favorite wrestlers, interest music, moments, and all that kind of fun jazz. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and I'm I, and I, I look forward to this because honestly, like I said, I'm a, doing research on this and watching all the promo videos and whatnot. It was like I turned into a child all over again. Like I should have been asleep for work several days, but it was kind of hard because I'm sitting up reliving the moment where. You know, Stone Cold Steve Austin wasn't supposed to be in the building. You got cops all around. <laughs> Next thing you know, you hear his music, and he pulls up in a truck, you know, jumps jumps on the hood and jumps over the police to get the Vince McMahon. And it's like, yeah, you know, I mean, that's, it was, it was also that's all going to get covered. <laughs> I, no, and I, no, that's only one. And, I mean, uh, another, another awesome uh, uh, team that we got to basically uh, mention, uh, D-Generation X. Oh yeah, that's going to get covered too. Oh my god, they were they were. <laughs> this amazing. might even be a four-parter. Who knows? Yeah. Hey, um, who knows? I'm just saying this is this is going to be fun. And... But oh, go ahead. But the last thought I want to kind of leave you guys with is, it's kind of amazing to like we've got to witness. Like I mean, I got to witness WWE WWF coming from being. A small promotion to the global powerhouse that it is and love them or hate them like Vince McMahon like he knew his shit he's 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 pretty been he's pretty set on he gave us like he, he had a dream and he he got his dream <laughs> oh yes that's why I, I tell a lot of people when it does when we do talk about Vince McMahon and wrestling he was definitely the new generation, basically taking the company from his father or buying the company from his father. And the way he just navigated the waters with the company and where it's at now, where it's at now, it would not have been feasible unless, you know, he basically said, hey, we got to basically start thinking of wrestling in a different light. We cannot basically go with the old ways no more. Let's try something yeah. And yeah. of course, you see that with, uh, you actually see, you definitely see the change with the Attitude Era, and especially how wrestling is today, which we'll definitely be covering over the next two episodes. Yeah, because the next episode, we're going to talk about KFAB and a lot of that stuff. Oh, yeah. And, and the importance, because KFAB's pretty much well dead now. I mean, oh, yeah. it, 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 it's with, with the social media and everything else, KFAB's dead. Yes. I will definitely be the first to say that. In fact, uh, I got a funny story when we cover that. 
and it involves m my father being him. Let's just say he uh, ordered pay-per-view for us, and this was the Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Undertaker match. Oh, don't give it away now. Make them pay for it. I know, I know. I'm no, no, no. I'm not. No. All I'm mentioning is there was a reason why he ordered that pay-per-view. There was a reason why, and I'm not even going to tell the whole story. I'm going to wait probably next episode to tell this story because it is fucking hilarious, and it had a lot to do with how I look at wrestling later. So I'm going to leave it at that. So I'm going to pass the question off to our uh, listeners here. Uh, what are some of your favorite wrestling moments? You know, who, who are some of your favorite wrestlers? In fact, get on our Facebook page, the Noble Order of Savage uh, uh, Facebook group. You know, send a comment, ask a question. I mean, hey, who knows? It might be featured on the show. And, you know, just just share your wrestling experience with us. You know, I, I trust me, I would love to hear it. How you, which era did you come in at? And, you know, who was your favorite wrestler? I would love to hear these stories. You know, I mean, who knows? Maybe there was somebody we missed. You don't know. So with that being said, please. This is a good part to end with. Jason Galt, the macho man's coming for you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This isn't over. Not by a long shot, Jason. We're coming for you. You better be ready. You better watch your back. Jason Galt, as you lay your head down on your little pillow because you got a little head, I want you to think of these giant hands wrapping around your little pencil neck. That's what happens when you mess with the man, the Sasquatch man, Jim Yukon. Just you remember, Jason, the macho man's the cream of the crop. And the crash, oh, the crash is coming for you. He's coming. And with that being said, please, follow, like, share, subscribe. You can find us on uh, Facebook, the Noble Order of Savages Facebook group. Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, the Noble Order of Savages. How? You can find me on uh, Instagram under the Noble Order of Savages JM. And please, with that being said, you guys have a good night and hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you for joining us.